Adam Lippi, writer, editor, publisher of RegrettableSincerity.com, and this is a podcast interview with Chris Morris, writer-director of the new suicide bomber satire, Four Lions. Now, while Morris is not particularly well-known in the U.S., he has a huge following in the U.K., where his satirical TV shows like Brass Eye, Nathan Barley, and Jam have made quite an impression. And for those fans who wonder why the notoriously press-shy Morris consented to an interview... He hasn't volunteered for one in 15 years. I certainly asked that question, as well as the inherent homoeroticism of the military and how a journalist can chase his tail searching for an overall meaning in a comedy. That last part refers to Morris's brilliant hipster parody, Nathan Barley. And as I'm aware that not everyone else has seen Morris's TV work, like the podcast I did with Jordan Brady, I'm providing a visual glossary on the site for the many references made to Mr. Morris's work. Enjoy. In, right. And in preparation for this interview, I wanted you to know that I, I had some pervert mechanics make me some trust me trousers so I can uh, lure a baby in to be my lawyer. Right, so if you basically, if I hear a hissing noise during the interview, I'll know you're just practicing, making sure they work. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool, okay. Now, uh, Are they comfortable? Uh, yeah, a little tight, actually, but I guess that's the point. Yeah. yeah. They can, they can get hot as well, hot weather you don't Well, I mean, they'll balloon a little, but then but then they kind of, like, the air pops out of it. I don't really understand how they work, but um, kudos to whomever designed them. Um, it's pneumatics. Right. Um, in Four Lions, the the idea of um, macho heterosexuality between friends who who think that they have to be macho to sort of impress themselves, that's, that's like a constant idea throughout the film. Was that conscious? that you were trying to get across that these guys don't really know how to act and so they think they just have to be as macho as possible? Jackass. <laughs> it's sort of, um, in a way, characteristic, I think, of um, people who are of a certain kind of male bonding. Right, but isn't Jackass a little more homoerotic than what you were going for? Well, I mean, I think there's a sort of... A, an, a, a homoerotic underpinning to uh, a lot of things which are less overtly homoerotic than jackass, mm-hmm. just in terms of the male bonds of sports teams. I was talking to a guy who fought in the SAS in, um, in the Falklands uh, in the early 80s, and when he came back, he said that one of the weirdest things he, I mean, he wasn't expecting, but his friends noted that whenever he was with the people uh, alongside whom he had fought, they thought he, he'd become gay because of the nature of the bond between those guys in, you know, sort of hard cooks in, in fighting conditions. So, you know, I think there's kind of, um, that there is something there that is characteristic of a kind of closed pressure cooker male group. Well, I mean, I guess because, I mean, if I learned anything from Nathan Barley, it's that terrorists are gay, supposedly. Uh well, some of them clearly are. Yeah. Um, th- what was funny to me in reading uh, the description of the film, and after I've af- actually having seen the film before reading the description per the press release, it sounds like something you would have come up with satirically. Uh, it said, like, what Spinal Tap did for heavy metal, Four Lions will do for the face of modern terrorism, which is either really brilliant or completely ridiculous, but I'm not sure which. Did you have anything to do with that? Because it's... I'm not sure if it's intentionally funny or not. You have to decide. I figured that would be the answer. Um, and that kind of gets me to the next question, which is, you do something uh, very interesting. You, you create a Catch-22 um, that, for instance, uh, it, it occurs in Nathan Barley the most, but 
basically that our reaction to the material is probably wrong according to whatever side you want to take is every side seems to be wrong if i'm going to sympathize with one side well then you're the idiot because really the other side is an idiot and then if you're going to be take no side whatsoever then um you're basically a sociopath who doesn't feel anything is that a deliberate and is that one of the, is that one of the reasons that you don't you didn't do press for so many years so so nobody could ask you that question no, 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 I'm delighted to hear that question because it sounds like a man literally chasing himself around his own cell. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I watched Nathan Barley in awe of it, but realizing that you were you were in the Woody Allen Stardust Memories thing, but getting it right. Well, I think that I think that there's no you don't really calculate the series of impacts on people that precisely, but. I don't really think you're, you know, I, d I don't really think that you're pursuing anything honestly unless you're excavating things that leave. I mean, most positions have something unacceptable about them, don't they? So, you know, you kind of like, you have to sit in. I think certainty, you could say that Brass Eye was a sort of an assault on certainty in a way, mm -hmm. and a certain kind of rigid, hysterical certainty too. But I think the degree to which you've, you've hopped around the various points you could occupy. Is, must be very good exercise. Uh, well, you know, I was sitting there not laughing, and uh, but appreciating it and realizing that the, the hoops that my, my mind was going through at the same time. But I think you what, was, in, in Nathan Barley. Yeah, in Nathan Barley. But it happened. In, it happened in four lines less because you. It's not as dense. Like because it's a feature film, it, there isn't as much packed into it, which both gives the movie a sadness to it that isn't evident in Nathan Barley for several episodes, but is, you know, it, the four lines you, first they're idiots on the sort of bottle rocket level, you know, because they could be, they don't even have to be terrorists, they could be just terrible criminals, like, which is the standard independent film, anyway. But my, my reaction changed over time, but you, you can have a range of emotions, but it's over a 95 minute period instead of over a five minute period. Yeah, no, that's why, I mean, that's why it was a film, you basically you want to have a much greater range of sort of uh, depth, and to be honest, in some ways, in many ways, in all ways, these these characters are much more interesting than those in Nathan Barley. Well, in and of themselves, would I want to talk to the guys in Nathan Barley? No, but mm. that's what I mean. Okay, I mean, there's more. You know, you, you know, the characters in Nathan Barley are more sort of representations. Right. You know, but these you... guys are, are real people. And in fact, it's, it's that discovery that these guys are real people that basically makes you set off on making this film because you come across examples which are counter-instinctively funny. Was that part of the, the reasoning behind making the, the wife in Four Lions sort of, you know, she, she's sort of rooting him on, even though she knows exactly what Omar is doing? Yeah, but, but that, you know, that's, that's what happens in certain cases. You know, you have, you have wives, sisters, cousins, female cousins on side with it. I mean, in some parts of the world, you have, you have women as taking part themselves, as bombers themselves. But there's no, there's no real reason why that shouldn't be the case in certain circumstances. I mean, you know, so obviously you have a, a whole range of different types involved in this stuff, and that's one of them. Um, and I guess I had a question about, because there's also a Nathan Barley, uh, do, do you have uh, some problem with crows that you feel they need to either blow them up or have them be <laughs> drug dealers? I actually like crows. Okay. Uh, I unless I, uh, unless I missed that, it seemed like the crow was a drug dealer, Nathan Barley. Yes, he was, okay. yeah. Yeah, no, I felt that that was a card. Clearly, I, I have an obsession with crows carrying things. 
Although, funny enough, the genesis of those ideas are completely different. I mean, the, the way we ended up with crows as, as bombs was because I was talking to a guy who had a bit of a sort of radical past and was now working as a night watchman on a building site. And he was an eccentric, shall we say, you know, a Muslim, quite a radical Muslim. And um, he was terrified that the crows that hopping around the building site had it in for him, that they basically had decided that he was a bad person. And so I started talking about crows, and I said, you can teach crows to talk. And we had a conversation in which I just started sort of riffing. And I said to him, you should train them to become bombers, you know, because you can teach them things. They're quite intelligent birds. And I walked away thinking, mm, yeah, that was quite a good idea. Not actually a practically good idea, but an idea which would, I think, give us a scene in the film. Do you have to balance that with your deliberate silliness? What? You mean the fact that I go around being deliberately silly? Well, yeah, I mean, because that's what, how I take most of your material is deliberately silly. And as part of, I guess, you know, I keep interrupting you, and I'm sorry about that. And the overreaching question of that is, why now to start doing interviews? And are you trying to reach the American market with your material? I think so. I mean, it's, with, with a, look, I mean, when you do, when you find that you have to do as much research as you have to do to get a film like this anywhere near actually telling the truth about something, mm -hmm. then there's most of it's left out. But the fact is that much more than anything else I did, because people are so lamentably ignorant on this subject, there's a huge amount that is there to be discussed. And most people's questions involve drawing some of that out. And I've got no problem with sharing that information. But, you know, if you do a satire about the media, what the fuck's the point of talking going on the media to talk about it? Well, yes, I, I agree with that. Although, since the media is splintering in several different factions now, where people are now part of the media as bloggers, it's hard to. Yeah, know. but people have always been part of the media. I mean, one talks about the media as if it was a sort of separate thing, but pe uh, uh, media is always the, the projection of people's appetite and desire to exchange information in whatever way they want, but in a, in a sort of heightened way, one way or another. But it would be, I think. Unnecessary. There's not much to say, is there? I mean, if, I, if something is a satire of the media, it's evident what it is, and there's really nothing to say. But if there's, because you're not delivering new information here, there's bloody sackloads of the stuff. I mean, literally, I could keep you going for about eight years. But in terms of breaking into the American, this isn't an attempt, this is just because it's a more palatable subject, do you find, for discussion? Sorry, which? Uh, in terms of breaking into the American market. I mean, because a lot of your material may translate well, and then some of it won't. I, I don't think jam would translate all that well, not just because of the subject matter, but because of the tone. Well, I find a lot of people in the States come up to me uh, talk about jam. So, you know, I mean, no, no anecdotal incident serves to represent anything other than itself. But I've been surprised by the number of people who've gone for that. I mean, I don't really see it as a sort of breaking into a market. I mean, this is just, you know, this is, it, it's, it's in the nature of films to be distributed worldwide, and, you know, you want people to see them. So, I mean, this isn't a sort of like a spearhead attack into a territory as such. But in watching all of the footage and all of the stuff that you have, Nathan Barley is so prescient it would translate the best. Whether or not you want to pull an G and just redo it, I don't think that's necessary. And there's talk of that, actually. There's talk of something that relates to Nathan Barley being done here. Mm -hmm. uh, that's true. Do you find the restrictions uh, of making material helpful, or do you, do you need more freedom? Because some of your material is just that there are no restrictions, which means there are no rules, but within a 90-minute within a fiction film there are rules, and within certain of your TV stuff there, there have been rules. Do you, do you prefer rules or no rules? Well, I think 
there are always rules, really, and I think that as soon as the rules become ignored, you know, if you think of the difference between Howard Stern on uh, sort of terrestrial radio and then Howard Stern beyond regulation, it changes the sort of restrictions on what you can say, and immediately, therefore, the nature of what you say is is operating in a different value system. And I think the only point about rules in terms of shall we say, propriety is to do with a shared sense of what the rules is between you and the audience. But in many ways, rules are very useful in terms of limiting your options. You really have to then use your imagination to work yourself out of a box. Uh, you don't, I don't mean you can get good results by imposing artificial rules, but rules generally just happen. You know, there are budgetary constraints. They're a rule of a kind. And uh, sometimes thinking your way through those gives you a better result than you would have any other way. If you, you know, the more money you have, the more money you spend and not necessarily to good effect. So kind of like anyone who's, who, I think anyone who does anything creative wants to give themselves restrictions. You know, if you read sort of Brian Eno's production tips, you'll find that they're in a way, a, a way of imposing restrictions onto a situation to try and get musicians to focus. And I think that has to be the last question because I'm being told that um, some very Unhappy people are waiting downstairs. <laughs> okay, uh, can I can I sneak in two quick ones? Is is uh, yeah, ask them both at once. Okay, sure. Is Barry uh, praying in costume against the van near the end of Four Lions? No, when he's sort of banging his head. Well, it, it's like he's in the background of the shot, and he's like, it, it doesn't actually cut together properly. So I didn't know if that was deliberate. When when where when near near, which, near the end when they're hiding behind the the van, and yeah. they're trying to talk to the cop. I think it is. When yeah. Costume. And yeah. Barry's in the back sort of like praying or moving, you know, behind Omar, it looked like. When he's got, and he's facing the van? Yes. Yeah, no, no, he's not praying. I think you've just found uh, what could be considered a creative edit. <laughs> okay. And the other one is, uh, is the beans in the penis thing, is that going to be like the shells in Demolition Man? Is that going to be your version, like something you'll never, ever explain? Actually, there is, a, no, it's all too explicable. And when the DVD comes out in January, the, ex- the explanatory scene is included. Okay. The same thing with the Weetabix, I'm assuming, too. Yes, although the explanatory scene is not included. Oh, so it's just going to be a mystery. That's a good, good, good way to go. The Weetabix. The Weetabix was a joke. I mean, it was, it was a joke with a setup. And um, I left it in the cut because I wanted to have the, um, the idea of sort of internal rendition in the end. And when I played the cuts, you know, with an unfinished cut, but I played it to some friends for feedback. They laughed anyway. So I found myself sort of contradicting a rule. And I had a very strong discussion, you know, with the writers, Sam and Jesse, and myself. We just kind of were working out if we could possibly allow ourselves to permit that. With the, you know, with the pop- popularity of Tim and Eric here, you don't have to worry about explaining randomness. It just no, is. well, exactly. And I'm a great fan of random things anyway. I mean, I have always been. So, you know, that just becomes it becomes a different nature of things. In fact, people, people will come up and say, oh, I love the way you use a Weetabix just to sum up how little the security services know. And you go, yeah, that was the plan. <laughs> but listen, I've got to go downstairs because the people in the lobby are very unhappy. Okay. Not terribly, not cruelly unhappy, but I just, you know, I think they're looking like upset children. Well, they have their confused face on, is what you're saying. You bet. All right. Yeah.